0: Welcome to Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin, and I'm here with Joey. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about the 1998 uh, film, Small Soldiers.
1: Yes. Joe Dante film.
0: Joe Dante, uh, DreamWorks, kind of a, um, I don't know, successor, something that potentially inspired by <laughs> Toy Story's massive success.
1: I, that's kind of a nice way of putting it, I think. <laughs>
0: Um, and also, uh, somewhat inspired by a previous Joe Dante works, uh, specifically Gremlins. Yes. Similar premise. Made yeah. To be for kids, but that's not, right. Um, turns out something else.
1: Well, this is a movie that's like close to your heart, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the, the reason, uh, I, I, wanted to talk about this movie is cause I grew up with small soldiers. Small soldiers was my thing, uh, growing up or one of many things, but, uh, I I started watching it when I was real young and just kind of stuck with it. It was in the rotation of movies that we always watched. Yeah, and, uh, and even though I was like such a huge scaredy cat growing up, like I used to, uh, I was like very easily scared of things. Like I remember having a tough time with Tarzan the first time I saw it. I think. Really. But this this movie straight up did not scare me. Uh, i i I loved it i had even though in the movie they they, like seemingly very recently come to to come to life and try to kill you i owned like all of the Commando elite and like all the gorgonites so uh i don't know i loved it and uh looking back on it
1: definitely still not scared of them (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's pretty it's a pretty freaky movie honestly i mean there's a lot of strange things that happen Um, but I, no, I think it's like, I think it's well done. I think there's the animation is good and everything. And yeah, honestly, if I was a kid, I probably, I probably would have been scared of these little toys coming to life. Especially if I saw them in the store, I'd be like, I'm staying away from those things. I didn't yeah, what happened in the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I um, I think I was part of it, though. It's like, maybe I watched it before I, I knew I was supposed to be scared of this stuff. Okay. Uh, be, like, before someone could tell me. Because when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, awesome. Like, the Commando Elite, even though they're clearly the bad guys, they are definitely my favorite. Because I love, like, army men. So I, uh, they were, like, when I owned the toys, those were definitely my favorite, too.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, uh, that's something I didn't expect. Because this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. I didn't expect the um, the small soldiers, you know, the titular characters, yeah. to be the bad guys in this movie. Um, so that was kind of a nice twist, I think.
0: Definitely. Although it was easier, or, or I guess the Gorgonites really didn't give you a chance to think that they were bad guys despite, or, or besides the way that they look. And even that, right. they don't really look they that bad. They are
1: really cute, all of them. <laughs> they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, do you want to dive into the synopsis and just... Start talking. All right, uh, Let me put on my synopsis hat. <clears throat> Globotech, a giant weapons corporation, has acquired Heartland Play Systems in order to market their products to a wider audience. They begin with two new lines of toys. The Commando Elite, a series of G.I. Joe-like soldiers with guns and names like Chip Hazard and Link Static. And the Gorgonites, a diverse bunch of aliens that want to return to their homeland of Gorgon. The toys are outfitted with the latest technology, which includes a computer chip that makes them sentient. Enter Alan, a kid who works in his dad's toy shop. Alan convinces a local delivery driver to let him have some of the new global tech toys and attempts to sell them in his shop. But the toys come to life, and the commando elite do what they were programmed to do, hunt Gorgonites. The Gorgonites hide, except for Archer, who befriends Alan and convinces him to help the other peaceful aliens find Gorgon. The Commando Elite now see Alan as a threat and capture his neighbor and crush, Christy, played by Kristen Dunst. Alan rescues Christy and a showdown happens on Alan's front lawn. The original Commando Elite recruit help from a local toy world and an intense battle ensues. Alan is able to trigger an EMP which fries all of the Commando Elite but spares the Gorgonites. Alan gets the girl, Globotech arrives to wipe away tears with fat stacks and the Gorgonites sail away into the wilderness in search of their homeland.
0: Succinct as always, especially oh, with the inclusion you. of Globotech's Fat Stacks, uh, which is, I guess, where we should begin our discussion here, yeah. is on the weapons manufacturer turned, uh, I guess, just, just like, business owner, <laughs> right. Globotech. Uh, run
1: by Gil Mars.
0: Run by Gil Mars, played by Dennis Leary. Uh, 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 don't
1: you mean William Defoe?
0: Yes, definitely Dennis Leary, not Willem Dafoe, despite my previous confusion as to who on earth was playing Gil Mars in this movie. <laughs> um, yes, Dennis Leary comes in as the, uh, the all-encompassing fat cat CEO uh, yeah. business mogul who has just acquired Heartland Play Systems. I right. Agree.
1: Well, to quote another movie we, we watched, um, he is the ideas man. You know, he's the one reason why they're so successful. It's because he he has a vision and he implements it ruthlessly.
0: Great Hudsucker proxy callback. I, I'm I'm definitely here for it. Um, but yes, yeah, so it, which is it's interesting. They their motto. They they have like that opening cinematic, which I think is a memorable way to start this movie with kind of like the infomercial about uh GloboTech.
1: Yeah, I think does a really good job of explaining like who they are and like why you shouldn't trust them. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think GloboTech is like a really obvious uh, Disney stand-in for this mm-hmm. movie because this movie is a DreamWorks production, and um, DreamWorks, like DreamWorks, was made in response to Disney. It was like built by a people who used to be Disney executives in like a um, in a way to rival them in their animation department and all their live action stuff. Um, and I don't think DreamWorks has really reached the success that it really wanted to. Um, and I think that's part- track yeah <laughs> no, not at all. And, um, <laughs> I think part of the reason for that is because they make movies like this, which are um, direct responses to other Disney products. You know, I think this is clearly a response to Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Um, and although it is its own style and is totally original in its own way, it's it really does kind of fall in the shadow of Pixar's masterpiece, in my right.
0: Opinion no right you have to actually just looking at the movie from a uh just like at a glance you would say definitely inspired by toy story even though once you get into it itself there's a lot less like they definitely have the like the toys don't sometimes act like they're not alive right um but that quickly gets thrown out and the toys definitely act alive (laughs) alive all the time yeah yeah so Yeah, so so it
1: does i think it does stand on its own two feet um and to co- compare the two wouldn't exactly be fair they're almost different genres entirely but mm-hmm. it's hard to you can't set you can't separate them totally
0: right well and i guess where it stops being a toy story spin-off it becomes a little bit of a uh, gremlins clone yeah yeah this, it kind of does and, and it, even though it's not i would say that gremlins is a little bit like leans a little harder on the like don't do a certain thing or else like these cute uh, Gremlins will become something terrifying. Like the right. Commando Elite are just, they're bad from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. So, it just, you know, it's a slightly different situation. But uh, yeah. that jo- Joe Dante definitely leaving his mark uh, in the same way that he had in the past going on in this movie. But uh, okay, so getting back towards Globotech, um, they've acquired Heartland Play Systems, and that leads us to meeting David Cross's character and. Um, jay guy. moore uh jay, play, jay...
1: yeah they play larry and Irwin. yes oh, yeah so um but th- this is when you have the presentations right so gil mars arrives and he's like i need i need something to you know blow my mind here right, and... right. because <laughs> he
0: had fired everyone else he had acquired heartland places and fired everyone else except for Irwin and larry because they were the genius duo that came up with Flat Chew and the Belch Brigade, which they have, when, uh, which he basically <laughs> looks like a red Gorgonite that they apparently sold a bunch of uh, in their previous toy release. Yeah. So that's why they had to stay on.
1: I just, it's brilliant, honestly. Like... <laughs> flat shoe <you> and <laughs> bell spring. Like how can you that's such a perfect like kid toy. So you know, like, ki- yeah, like Hypothetical of course, kid toy. Yeah. The
0: kids love things that fart and the kids sneeze. kids love so. Farting and burping.
1: <laughs> and burping, yeah. And to name it flat shoe, like no one's gonna no kid's gonna understand that means flatulence, but yeah. Like, the parents <laughs> are like, Oh god.
0: Right, and they squeeze him and he's like burp. <laughs> like it's just so classic kids. Um uh, which <laughs> I mean, they are making yes, kids' credit, toys. So no, credit so, to oh.
1: them; they, they made a very successful product. I would, I would buy that for my kids.
0: I'd buy that for my kids. Like, yeah, right now, even if it's not a popular kids' toy. Just <laughs> hey, there's a reference to small soldiers, kid. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so there's the two presentations, right? First, uh, David Cross Irwin, he has his presentation where is, his is like um, it's like a couple of cardboard cutouts and like a draw a poorly done drawing of his gorgonite concept and he's like the gorgonites there's some aliens and he's like really flustered um, well and,
0: and he says he I, like one thing that he does say that i think is important is he it's all about learning about the world around them that is learning
1: kind of, did you say learning
0: exactly and that's what gets him shut down but he does make it clear that the gorgonites are all are supposed to be curious um, right which that's comes true. back later
1: that does come back um but but his you know partner or whoever Jay Moore's character Larry, Larry he has he has a whole like he has a fully functional prototype and a commercial, and when he shows the commercial to to Gil Mars, he, Gil Mars is like wait 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 is that Tommy Lee Jones voicing him? <laughs> <laughs>
0: And while it is actually Tommy Lee Jones, what Gil was so impressed with and questioning about the video was whether or not Chip Hazard could actually punch his way out of the box like he does on the commercial. Uh, And they end up making them do that, too.
1: Yeah, that's Uh, right. But, like, of the the two presentations, it's so obvious which one they're going to pick. Even if the Gorgonites were, like, a brilliant idea, the way they were presented, it's just like, come on come on erwin like you knew this this happened right all your friends everyone you've worked with for years has been fired this is your one chance well, to prove yourself now this new corporation
0: <laughs> right right but here's the thing this is typical Irwin, because even in the brief summary of the flat Chew belch brigade project we get it was that erwin was the brainchild he came up with the idea but it was larry who put mm-hmm feet on the ground and got the project actually rolling and made it the success that it was so this is just par for the course yeah for but,
1: but, but jay's I, or larry's idea is so much better too because it's like soldiers and this is a defense company right they make weapons so like it's a clear pivot like it makes a lot of sense for them to want to do that as, as opposed to these you know nature loving aliens
0: agree no but I think that Larry is making toys that kids will want to play with, and Erwin is making a toy that parents will want their kids to play with. Right? That's probably true, yeah. So, and I mean,
1: yeah, the Gorgonites are a more wholesome toy, but, like, you're not selling them, Larry. Oh, I mean, you're not selling them, Erwin. Come on. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, you also
0: harder. right now, you're not selling anything to kids. You're selling something to Gil Mars. And mm. Gil Mars says, don't call it violence, call it action. So, yeah. he, he's got his own opinions on what kids should be playing with. Uh, or kids will play with
1: i yeah i think that's really interesting especially since like the way like films are rated in the um in the u.s Mm -hmm. how like you can show like a lot of violence and that's considered more like acceptable than like nudity or like anything sexual yeah it's um i mean like right now out right now the you know big movie right now is uh deadpool which of course is Rated R because of its violence, not so much of its, you know, nudity or sexual themes. Uh Um, But throughout, like, you know, recent history, all of the like, really violent films and stuff, you're almost like allowed to show your kids violent films, but not allowed to show them films about, like, sex or anything like that. I don't know, like, why that distinction is, you know, I don't know if that's some sort of societal problem or what, but it is kind of a deep-seated thing and to to make that distinction right like to say it, let's call it action not violence like makes it so much more palatable for some reason without changing the actual substance
0: yeah i don't know i think there's there's that's like a two-pronged kind of idea because i think that the united states is a little bit more uh squeamish when it comes to discussing sexual topics especially with Our youngsters, yeah. Um, But at the same time, there's our like the American affinity for violence, and uh, I'm I'm not sure if they really impact each other as much or are worth comparing. uh, Mm. Because we like saying that it's like oh, we should show sexual things as much as we show violence might be an overcorrection. But saying that we should show violence as little as we show sexual things might also be like an overcorrection in the wrong direction. So yeah,
1: but I I feel like it's it's almost like. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about network. Like you Uh have, you know, certain themes uh, will inspire worldview, right? You just act like it's normal and then it suddenly is normal. Mm -hmm. So like the repression of like sexual ideas is, I think is, is like a born in ignorance or something or like preaching ignorance of that thing because it's never like explicit. Whereas violence is shown to be normal, Right. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying like they should be equal, like obviously if something is bad doesn't that doesn't warrant other bad things also being you know valid if that makes sense uh-huh. you know what I'm saying but it's I still think that the distinction is in the wrong place. We should be teaching more about something like sex, which can be dangerous versus mm-hmm. something that actually is dangerous and not as prevalent as the movies like to show- like actually show us um but the worldview that they're preaching here is that it is really like it's everywhere, and you know it's awesome. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. Especially going to other countries, like I have family members in Mexico, and we went. I went to like a uh, kids museum. You ever been to like one of those kids museums where it's like all interactive and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we went to one of those uh, with my little cousin Eddie, and there was like a whole like sex area of the kids museum, really, uh, with like. Yeah, and it had like, it wasn't obviously it wasn't like pornography, but like there were there were like, th- like naked people, like the you know things that showed anatomy and like giant penises and st- like th- there there was just like all up in your face, and yeah. my little cousin Eddie was like, yeah, I mean we talk about this stuff at school, like this is just another part of being alive and part of the things that they discuss when they're showing you that stuff is like hey if a stranger comes and tries to like grab your donger like don't let that happen like right. that might happen so you need to be prepared for what to do in that situation and i think that that's way better than just being like oh like be secretive about that stuff yeah like, don't but, talk about it
1: well it's i mean it's just this kind of thing where like for some reason like you think showing violence will not uh, perpetuate violence, and, and I, I think that's sort of true in some regard. I don't think, like, violence in movies and TV shows necessarily promotes that kind of behavior on other people, but it does promote a certain worldview or a certain, like, problem-solving technique, you could say, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all the superhero movies, the, it always ends the same way, where somebody's punching somebody else, because that's, like, the only way to stop them. There's never a discussion, there's never an exchange of ideas, at least not, um, not usually. So, the violence is shown to be the answer for a lot of these things. But in, in this regard, right, like, if you knew more about sex, if you if you weren't so afraid of talking about it, maybe you could avoid other problems in, in society um, like your cousin Eddie is, is known for, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little Eddie, he's... Uh,
0: <laughs> he's so comfortable with these sexual situations heading into sixth grade, my man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Wow! Yeah, I, I actually didn't expect to get off onto that topic off of just uh, <laughs> Gil <laughs> Mars' action. Yeah, yeah vi- but,
1: but yeah, I don't know. That's, that's such a, it is kind of a deep thing that he says, and I, and honestly, it's one of those things where I was like going to gloss over it, and then I was like, no, that's something I'm going to think about a lot. Yeah, like how like we call violence something else, and suddenly it's okay.
0: Especially if if you're a weapons manufacturer turned kids toy creator, uh, makes which makes perfect sense. Yeah, they, they leverage that infrastructure that they already have for weapons when they first use a chip uh, that is weapons grade, uh, munitions chip, uh, yeah. to give these toys AI. Also, you see the cheeky inclusion of that uh, Gremlins reference with David mm-hmm. Cross's password being Gizmo. That's uh, true. That is so blatant of a reference to like, it. it well, the, that. the thing is i didn't know that this movie was directed by the same director yeah. so i was just like oh like a, a a gremlins reference paying homage to the fact that mm. both those movies are very similar but now yeah. it's just joe dante just oh remember me i'm joe dante I, I'm, I'm in this movie okay.
1: i saw it was a lot more <laughs> cute but okay i i could see your point
0: but it's also memorable the way that uh because you know right because
1: the, they use that right because because Jay Moore is the one who actually buys the stuff, but he can't remember his password. You can only remember David Cross's <laughs> password. Yeah, so I really like this the manufacturing scene when they mm-hmm. actually make the toys. Like, I have I have problems with like how this was done in, in some ways. Just a little nitpicks. I mean, like they designed the most like sophisticated toys on the market in three months and they don't even bother to test them before they put them out there they're just like all right there they are and then turns out that these chips like make them sentient so <laughs> which is also a ridiculous thing i mean like I mean, you're a computer guy do you know anything about like processing chips like I'll s- this uh,
0: I'll, I'll tell you this if you <laughs> if you didn't already have ai just putting like Putting any chip inside of like a, a action figure isn't going to like. It doesn't matter how powerful the chip is. It's not going to create sentience. You need yeah. software that does the actual thinking, like to <laughs> to get, to right. give it a way to achieve sentience. Uh, so while I I think. This is a good answer for the for the sake of this movie is sure. to be like it's all a it's a the magic chip, chip. Yeah, it's, it's like, a magic computer chip they're like yeah this computer chip is the greatest ever this genius guy invented it it's just no one else has even used it because right. EMP uh you know uh, shielding isn't cost effective which you know they <laughs> they,
1: they allow no, you to survive your EMP i don't know like EMP shielding that's like that's advanced stuff i don't know <laughs> no uh, yeah about it. I,
0: exactly and i think that they're counting on you not to know that stuff that you see so you can be like okay it's in the chips like right. and then and then keep moving uh because yeah, okay. i think it would be difficult to establish like the reason why artificial intelligence exists but only in these toys <laughs>
1: yeah exactly like <laughs> there's so many problems that they solve to make these toys like having the tiny like robots and like also making their motors strong enough to like do all the things that they do
0: yeah and allow yeah, I mean, them to like, like yeah, well, and, like, 3D print them all. and Yeah,
1: it's, it's not as simple. Like, they have the toy, right? Like, an a- the difference between an action figure and a robot is, like, it's ridiculous. Like, they look they may look the same on the outside, but the insides would be completely different. Um, and they kind of show you some of the insides when they're doing the manufacturing stuff. They kind of look like little Terminators.
0: Yeah, they do, especially before they get their, like, heads put on.
1: Yeah, they have little eyes on there. But, like, yeah, they, they do this whole 3D printing thing, which is really super cool to see, like, in an older movie. Um, but they 3D print them. Like the full body, and then later on in the little like sequence, you see them attaching the arms to the thing. So like, <laughs> what exactly is happening here? Wouldn't they maybe, want to three D print them separately?
0: Maybe they because they had only three months, they had to manufacture them in all various ways. They had some getting 3D printed, yeah, some maybe. being assembled <laughs> made ways, yeah. Yeah, they sent some that's up so to funny. their annex of the North Pole so elves could work on some of them. Like they <laughs> they got all of horses trying to get this produced. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah so
1: but that was a cool scene i did like seeing the the manufacturing process
0: yeah me too uh and then so we move on to uh joe to, the delivery man pulling right, up so in the globotech truck we
1: meet alan first right he's the, he's the kid in his toys in the toy right. store. he's our main character uh he also has a 90s haircut very uh, which 90s is almost entirely his personality i would say <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so he he meets joe the delivery driver who uh um some is like the worst delivery driver of all time he literally <laughs> he meets this kid right to deliver his like daily shipment or whatever and the kid's like hey what are those boxes and the kid in the, and joe's like uh they're they're great like toys and alan's like can i have some and joe's like eh, okay
0: yeah and at first joe like <laughs> feigns like he's scolding him he's like hey 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 that like you're speaking too loud. Like I'm definitely yeah. down to do this shady deal, though. I like remember I'm what? the delivery guy, and you just moved here, so we're we obviously are close friends.
1: Yeah, like the the timeline of this movie doesn't make any sense. Like for, for Alan just moved here because he got kicked out of his last school. Yeah, unless he moved from like down the street or something. So his dad already has a toy store that's already failing, and he already <laughs> has this. This this uh, repertoire with this delivery guy who's willing to risk his like his entire livelihood for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would he do that? You know, like Alan's like, oh, let me has nothing ever fallen off the back of the truck. And he's like, oh, I'll give you some of the money afterward. It's like,
0: yeah, who or came you came just with...
1: deliver the shipment, Joe.
0: Yeah, and remember, these are. Brand new top of the line toys from Globotech that I I think there were something between like sixty to eighty dollars a toy yeah. each one, yeah. uh, which, which even is, like judging by the technology in there, that is an
1: absolute steal. But still, probably, it's like you saw that manufacturing process has been totally optimized. <laughs> that,
0: well, let's just say he's probably handing over like at least five hundred dollars of electronics to this yes. kid just. On the on a whim to a, on,
1: a known like vandal and <laughs> untrustworthy kid, yeah. And not only
0: does he hand him the he gives him a, like one of each one of each Gorgonite one of each Commando right. Elite, which end up being the ones that we see for the for most of the movie. Uh, but he also gives away the displays, the cardboard yeah. cutouts.
1: Oh, it's, like the boxes fell off, and also the, the displays. Like
0: <laughs> okay. Also, what happens when you sell half of them? Now you have cardboard displays of guys you don't even have anymore. Like, uh, did you okay, think this out point. at all? Like, <laughs> no. Answer is no. <laughs> so, the only I th- I bet what happened was that. When Alan met this delivery guy, like two days before the movie takes place, Alan must have said something vaguely anti-corporation, Ooh, and okay. the truck driver said, "Oh, I can get along with this guy easily."
1: <laughs> yeah, well, he is a small business owner in a way, so that's that, true. That's, that that does make sense. It does kind of lend itself. I know. I I although there's a lot of problems with this kind of setup, I do think it's kind of clever because Alan does get the toys before anybody else does, which explains why like more havoc isn't wreaked across the world.
0: Yes. They had Um, had to do it some way, and I I think that, honestly, if you're not, like, trying hard to criticize it, like, you might just, just, you know, get into it. Yeah, it's really
1: easy to overlook that, and it's just fun to nitpick. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Okay, so at this point, you meet uh, Kirsten Dunst's character, Christy.
0: Yes, and uh, actually, Deadpool 2 makes a joke about Kirsten Dunst. Uh, and really? how, yeah, he says, he says he can't, he's not sure if it's Kirsten or Chris, or like Kristen.
1: Um, oh, really? I didn't catch that. Yeah. Which well, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah,
0: that, and uh, yeah, I, I have trouble with it, especially because in this movie, her name is Christy. So that, yeah. that's just well, on way IMDb, too confusing. It's
1: spelled Kirsten. So we'll, we'll, I'll try and do that, but I've always said Kristen. So I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, like. But yeah, she I brings
0: think... in her little bratty brother.
1: Right, so he and he finds the toys which he wants, um, of course, and then Alan, it's like, is gonna sell it to him for some, but it doesn't for some reason. Why doesn't he sell it to him immediately? Which uh, is the money?
0: Yeah, that's right. Because he said they're expensive. Right. But- but the little kid seems pretty set that his parents will buy it for him. Actually, it's, it's hilarious. You really get to see the true colors of Chip Hazard because uh, at this point, Chip Hazard hasn't been out of the box for very long, and he doesn't know that his guns, like, don't work yet. Yeah. So uh, you see this little kid, this, the little fimple boy, walking into the back, and he sees them. He's like, cool. And you hear off-camera Chip Hazard going, civilian, declare your allegiance. And then you see a plastic, like, bullet... <laughs> Like, hit the kid right between the eyes? Like, Chip Hazard, with, like, no regard for, like, this little kid's, Shoot like, first, livelihood. first, questions later. Yeah,
1: like,
0: ask questions while your bullet is in flight, like, towards their face. Um, but Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, th- fortunately, it was a fake bullet, and the little kid lives, and, in fact, really wants to take Chip Hazard home.
1: Yeah, well, I want to go back to, to Kirsten a little bit, or okay. Christy. Uh, I mean, I think her name is really, like indicative of her character it, like they, she's so low effort that they didn't even bother changing your name that much like she is such she is like the the epitome of damsel in distress in this movie you Yes. Know? like some of the lines that are said to her are you're not like other girls and her dad actually says he's brainwashed you hasn't he like <laughs> And she just, and she totally gets captured by a bunch of freaking toys, you know. I mean, they are pinned down at the end of the movie, but it is by, like, a freaking army of them. So, like, the fact that she just totally gets owned by a bunch of pieces of plastic is just, like, really, really says a lot about uh, your agency and your female characters.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, she provides a lot of, um, you know, incentive for Alan to go around being a hero but True. I feel like toys that are destroying anything are as good enough reason. It doesn't specifically have to be the your neighbor, like girl next door, who's by the way yeah. already got a boyfriend.
1: <laughs> yes, but well, she only dates older guys, Ben.
0: Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh.
1: Yeah. Like, no. She. I mean, she's it's so clear that she's only in this movie so that there somebody gets the girl at the end. Like she doesn't have much to do. I think we all
0: knew who was going to get the girl by the end of the movie when we saw Alan's haircut. (laughs) That was was all we needed to see. (laughs) (laughs) You,
1: yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, but yeah, I think this is where where we meet, uh, like her boyfriend pulls up Brad, uh, Brad on his motorcycle. Yes.
1: Brad, yeah. Pulls up on his motorcycle and, uh, (laughs) well, he's, well, he's there because, uh, he wants to watch. He wants to have Christy watch him scrimmage JV. Right, right. And uh, <laughs> which classic
0: Brad? Like I, I'm. <laughs> I mean, <we're> <laughs> jocks everywhere. Like get that get so much hate. Uh, just for being on, like, for beating up on JV. Like, Brad yeah. is, looks like a perfectly normal dude for the most part. Well, he uh, gets
1: totally shafted in this movie, right? Yeah.
0: And for no real reason, you know? He doesn't, he, it's not his fault the toys are alive, you know? <laughs> like, Brad only gets one chance later on in the movie to even, like,. Decently, like, show that he's worth something, and he runs away because toys that out of nowhere, toys become sentient and light his pants on fire. You know, and we're supposed to hold that against him that he runs away. I mean, Brad's in what middle school, high school? I guess high school because he's driving a motorcycle. He better be yeah. old enough. Uh, but that's it. I mean, and and he has to lose his girl because of that. Like, I'm sorry. That's well gonna... i mean
1: she only goes for the baddest boy around so <laughs> i guess
0: yeah i guess when your pants catch on fire and you run away you're no longer the baddest boy on the block you know <sighs> you don't have that 90s hair to hold up to alan so. that's right
1: exactly <laughs> yeah so um you know i feel bad for brad um but yeah you know, that's the nature of these of these movies
0: yeah brad i think definitely a casualty in this movie uh, like shout outs to brad you know you deserve to pour one out for brad yeah pour one out for brad
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay so at this point we meet um christy's dad yes played by uh phil hartman phil fimple
0: yeah phil fimple played by phil hartman and another like phil hartman is one of the best like annoying neighbor dads uh like in tv he's up there with like Ned Flanders, as far as being like the main <laughs> character, does not like his, that. There, he's neighbors with this guy, yeah. and uh,
1: he's hilarious. He's all about his technology. He he really is. You know, uh, I mean, when you first time you see him, he's he's trying to cut down a tree in Alan's yard um, to make way for his satellite dish.
0: Yeah, and he's like. You know, obviously, Alan's dad doesn't want him to do it, but Phil's like,
1: I'll check the zoning laws, but I'm pretty sure I'm in the right here. <laughs> I love the way he talks in this movie. It's so funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he's hilarious. And, yeah, I, I love that, like, this character. It's all about, like... He, from the beginning, he's all about getting the best technology and using the best technology no matter how much it inconveniences his neighbors. And, yeah. like, specifically that. It continues to be a, a, a theme as we go through.
1: Yeah, I um, think that is really nice. And, I mean, he is, like, kind of shown to be an idiot and everything. But he, like, just loves to tinker. He just loves to play around with stuff. So right, respect. and I think
0: everyone everyone can think it's like, oh, I know like that guy. You know, <laughs> yeah, like that. There's one it's in every so, neighborhood.
1: So inconsiderate, but also like just so self obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think this brings up like this makes explicit something that I really want to talk about, which is the like kind of the appeal to nature, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the theme you see a lot in media. Um, because in this scene, obviously the the Alan's dad comes out and he says don't cut on that tree. You know, that tree is like belongs here and your salad dish does not. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of this idea that like, Oh, something that's natural is, is better than something that's, you know, technological or you know, unnatural. Sure. Man made. Right. Um, and I think this is also reflected in like the, the, uh, Commando Elite versus the Gorgonites too, right? The Gorgonites are trying to, are these natural creatures that are trying to go to their homeland. They want to go into the wilderness. They have they don't have, like, super special weapons. They mostly just have, like, stuff, like, their bodies are kind of weapons. Um, but whereas the Commando Elite are, like, these, you know, outfitted with the latest technology, and they're, like, super inventive, and, like, shape the environment around them super easily. So, you know, they're kind of the humans versus you know, the Gorgonites are the nature. Yeah, so I think this is uh, as good a place as any to talk about like this bigger theme that's going on in this movie which is nature versus technology um in in this situation right uh, phil hartman's character is trying to cut down this tree um because he, he's arguing that the 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 satellite dish is better than his there's a silly tree that's in alan's dad's yard and then alan's dad's defending the tree saying that it's you know oh, it's beautiful it's a tree Um, but I think this appeal to nature is like a huge fallacy and it's this kind of, um, like underrepresented, uh, like kind of ideal that we kind of take for granted in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, because like the truth is nature doesn't care at all about us, right? Like at any moment, something like natural could happen to the entirety of the earth and we would all be wiped out in an instant. Nature would continue, the universe would continue, and nothing would happen, right? Like a bad mm-hmm. solar flare could wipe out all of like, every, all of our technology or all of humanity, and you know, in an instant, a roaming black hole, which is like a natural occurrence in the universe, could totally come through and eat us up, and you know, we'll be gone. So like, I don't know. It depends kind of where you define the word nature. For me, when something is natural, it that's always kind of meant something that's not touched by man. But the more you dive into that, the harder it is to kind of make that definition. Um, and I guess this is a bit of a semantic argument, but I, I think there's this kind of a bigger point here. You know, a lot of the things that we consider natural aren't natural at all. I actually just read this really interesting article or this excerpt from a book called uh, Second Nature, and the mm-hmm. excerpt is called uh, Weeds Are the Us. The, the book is by uh, Michael Pollan. And in it, he argues that uh, we have this, like, I guess, this ideal about what weeds are. He says, like, uh, he gives three different definitions for weeds. And the first one is, I guess, for the more traditional definition. That would be uh, that um, weeds are plants that are in the wrong place. Which makes means that that's totally up to interpretation, right? Um, anything that is, any, any weed, or anything that, any plant that is a weed is something that someone else just doesn't, want, right? Somebody might say, this plant is ugly, and another person says, I love that plant, and so it's a weed for some people, not a weed for, for others. You know, sure. it's all subjective. But he in this chapter, he's exploring gardening, um, and so he gives kind of a different definition, which, one that I'll call the gardener's definition of weeds. He says, a weed is an especially aggressive plant that competes successfully against cultivated plants. And I think this kind of narrows your definition, but also makes it clear why people don't like weeds. It's not so much that they're just misunderstood as much as it's like they they outcompete their environment. You know, the plants that you actually want suffer because you allow weeds to take over and, and steal their resources. Um, and, but he takes this a little bit farther, and, and he actually argues that um, like weeds may not be natural as we see them at all, and I want to see, Ben, if you can notice uh, the, the same pattern that he notices. Okay. Um, so he, here he says, here are a few of the most typical places that, that weeds grow. Uh, waste places and roadsides. Open sites. Old fields. Waste places. Uh, cultivated and waste ground. Old fields, roadsides, lawns, gardens. Lawns, gardens, and disturbed sites. So, I mean, does, does that ring anything true to you? Does a pattern emerge for you?
0: Sure, all of those are places that only exist because of humans.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, he goes on in the next a paragraph. He says, what this list suggests is that weeds are not super plants. They don't grow everywhere, which explains why, for all their vigor, they haven't covered the globe entirely. And Yeah, weeds don't grow in the wilderness. Weeds don't grow in the forest. They grow in places that humans have touched. Um, and they're, they're plants that are best adapted for human, like, living alongside humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, by that definition, um, he, he offers a third one, one that uh, he, where he quotes uh, Jack Hartland. He says, uh, If we confine the concept of weeds to species adapted to human disturbance, then man is by definition the first and primary weed under whose influence all other weeds have evolved. And like, I think this is really interesting. You know, it kind of brings up the point that, or begs the question at least, that like, are weeds natural things? And I mean, he gives a lot of good examples of of plants that we may consider natural, but are actually invasive species, you know, brought over from other countries, brought over from places that, uh, where they evolved from, you know, in different environments. And they came here and they totally out-competed their competition, um, which, does that make them natural? Uh, Just because they're plants, are they natural? I mean, they're almost like biological warfare in a way. Um, and I think you can... You can step back here and kind of apply all three of these definitions of weeds to humans themselves. You know, if you consider something that is natural, something that's not touched by humans, then the first definition of definitely applies. You say that a weed is any plant that is in the wrong place. Uh, you know, anything that is unnatural is something that is touched by humans. It's, it's something that's in the wrong place, you could say, not in nature, not of nature. And then the second definition too, a weed is an especially aggressive plant that competes successfully against cultivated plants. You know, humans outcompete their, the, all other species so easily to the point where we've come back around and started, you know, cultivating animals and plants that we like and that are tasty and are cute. So the point that he's, uh, I'm trying to make here is that like, you know, Oh, uh, where is the line exactly? What is natural? What is not natural? Um, yeah, I so mean, for me,
0: yeah, I'm not sure at, if at a certain point it kind of d- doesn't matter. I guess if it's natural or not, because it, it that word it, I'm finding at least mm. doesn't mean a whole
1: lot. Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, it's it's almost like this short term view, right? Um, like he gives this example of this uh, place that he passes by all the time, this street corner that's been left to nature, um, mm. and like these these plants that are growing there are um you know un, unpruned you know you know just a wild a quote unquote wild but um he goes over there and investigates them and he finds that a lot of these ones are not native to where where they're growing you know these are plants that were brought over by Europeans hundreds of years ago so are they really natural or is this place still touched by humans it's just a little harder to tell mm-hmm. um and I think if you look at things like like forest fires, um, you start to see just how irreparable the damage we've done uh, to nature is. I mean, do you know anything about forest fires? Well, I know that forest,
0: despite what Smokey Bear says, not all forest fires are bad. Uh, specific, well, like yeah. you can have forest fires that are actually really beneficial for the environment.
1: Right. I mean, certain certain like ecosystems rely on regular or periodic fires to to reset their system and like even pine cones will explode in extreme heat to spread their seeds um farther so you know these kind yeah, of yes things... pine cones nature's fragment <laughs> of course <laughs> I'm, I'm sure chip hazard would love that if you knew that yeah um <laughs> yeah so uh, the, the the Smoky the bear campaign was extremely successful in stopping forest fires from happening but when forest fires did happen they were way more deadly way more devastating um, and, you know, there were, it happened like even faster because there was so much kindling and stuff in, under, in the underbrush that allowed these things to spread. So we started doing prescribed burns where we would go through and actually burn part of the forest um, to simulate a forest fire in order to reset that, it, that environment. So this is a great example of how even doing nothing changed the environment um, drastically. So I feel like because of this, um, we, we have a responsibility and that responsibility is to maintain a certain balance. Um, because like you hear about these existential threats, like global warming or like nuclear disaster, right? These things that could wipe out all of humanity. Um, and people say like, it'll destroy the earth, but really the earth will be fine. The earth has been here for billions of years. Earth will be for here for billions of years after we're gone. So like, the fact that we could wipe ourselves out doesn't threaten the Earth at all. You know, even, like, a nuclear, like, wasteland that would destroy lots of, lots and lots of life on Earth. As uh, Ian Malcolm says, life uh, finds a way. <laughs> so, like, we don't have to worry about the Earth. What we have to worry about is us. And we have to strike some sort of balance because the Earth can survive without us. And so, we ha- like, I definitely believe that if you... If you don't respect nature, that'll be the last thing you do. But I do think we have like, the ability and the responsibility to alter nature to how we see fit. To, to see it as a way that is most beneficial to us. Because, again, like nature doesn't really care about us. And there's lots of things that are natural that are actually super deadly. I mm-hmm. mean, like malaria or murder i feel like those things are natural but also don't um you know don't benefit anybody really
0: right yeah like in hawaii right now with the volcanic eruptions like not only is lava very natural and it's burning people's houses down but there's also like it dumps into the ocean and vaporizes and becomes like this toxic poison gas uh that's extremely naturally occurring (laughs) yeah um that can you know kill people and fill their lungs with blood so like there's um, that's not like I think by all definitions that could be uh, labeled natural, but it's not definitely not good for anybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it may have some long-term effects, but it definitely doesn't benefit the people that are living on the planet right now. And yeah. because of that, like, why not change, make changes for the better for us? You know, why not invest in GMOs um, and, and do stuff like that? You know, or CRISPR. These are taking advantage of nat of nature. These aren't necessarily going against it. And so, yeah, I, I think like these types of things um, kind of make that argument and uh, the whole argument of whether what's, what, what, what is natural, you know, what do we consider natural? I think that comes to, um, that brings us really right back to where we started with the tree and the satellite dish. You know, that tree may be a plant, it may be natural in some places, but it's certainly not natural in a suburb. Suburbs are planned and engineers, that is grass are laid down by humans, that plant, it was, that tree was planted by a human and so is that satellite dish so really like what deserves to be there more agreed that's a
0: good way to look at it because um, the tree because it's you know a tree <laughs> is a little bit more natural than a satellite but not by much not this particular tree
1: yeah and it's only by that strange definition and only if you're looking at it, at it like a, at a snapshot right if you go back mm-hmm. 20 years that tree didn't exist didn't exist there it never would have grown there nothing there's nothing natural about that tree's origin um yeah i don't think this is really that much of a hot take honestly like obviously like there's nuance in everything including this and i think the fetishization of nature kind of is just as harmful as the complete rejection of it Mm um and that's kind of just the point i'm trying to make
0: well i agree and uh but i think you're definitely siding with uh Phil Fimple here. That the the zoning laws would find him in the right, uh, and he was definitely at liberty to chop down that artificial tree's branch. Essentially, yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) We can name it. You can label it half artificial, half natural. Um, But yeah, it's it's definitely a theme in this movie, especially when we see the way that we conclude. Uh, for the gorgonites but we'll get to that eventually the next thing the next light topic we'll cover (laughs) is uh the emergence of artificial intelligence in this film yes when alan realizes he accidentally took uh 60 worth of electronics home in his backpack uh when he pulls archer out and realizes he's in his room
1: yes and then at this point you see like you interact with archer a little bit and you see that he's actually is somewhat intelligent he can um he can like speak and he can remember names and stuff, so it's it is interesting. He calls Alan, uh, Alan. Now shut up, because that's yeah. He...
0: <laughs> that's because Alan said that was what his name was. Yeah, so what is either, name? so Alan... either
1: Ar... Alan. Now shut up.
0: Yep, <laughs> it's either that Archer is his artificial intelligence isn't smart enough to realize that that's not part of his name, or it's so intelligent that he sarcastically saved his name (laughs) as Alan now shut up. Either way, (laughs) yeah, either way, it's pretty impressive for a children's toy.
1: Yeah, and I I actually really like that part where you see things through Archer's eyes, um, and uh, he's observing Alan sleeping, and it says, identification, Alan now shut up. And then it says, status, off because alan is asleep I like that yeah the, the the pov from the commando elite and the
0: gorgonite definitely a source of some uh some visual comedy in this definitely movie.
1: yeah Out that, like what why did they do that why did they include <laughs> heads up displays <laughs> and these tiny toys i don't know it's that um, magic chip man
0: yeah it's that magic chip so and and that's uh the next step is that Archer uses the computer that's on Alan's desk to kind of get a brief history
1: of uh global politics. <laughs> global yeah. <laughs> Some light reading. <laughs> well he, he uses um Encarta, which is like a outdated um search engine, like educational search yeah. engine that I remember using when I was like in middle school. Um and of course he, he uses the computer deftly with his uh use of just the right click. Right,
0: only right click uh, as he searches from JFK assassination all the way to Watergate. Uh, and then he knows all of history. So, uh, And he's ready to search out Gorgon.
1: Yes, Gorgon. he sees a picture of the woods and he's like, it's Gorgon.
0: And, uh, so, yeah, so then we, we, we oh,
1: transition to Chip Hazard and the mm-hmm. rest of the Commander Elite.
0: Where, uh, yeah, where Chip Hazard literally punches his way out of the box, just like... Uh, Gil, uh, Gil Mars, Gil Mars wanted him to be able to, and, uh, he introduces, or, or basically, you know, he makes the commando elite fall in yeah. and, uh, not much later we get Chip Hazard's inspirational speech and the, his speech is told in front of a giant puzzle of the American flag Yeah. and it's supposed to visually be a reference to the Patton movie mm. Um, which also comes into play during his speech. And it, it, it's an interesting speech uh, that Chip Hazard gives. It's kind of a hodgepodge of a bunch of other famous quotes having to do with American history slash war. Uh, so, and the first one is from Patton. So, the, so Chip Hazard begins, Soldiers, no poor sap ever won a war by dying for his country, which is a reference to Patton's quote, No mm. poor bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. Then Chip Hazard continues. He won it by being all that he can be, which is... I don't know if it's a direct quote, but that's very much in the same style, the way that Sun Tzu uh, wrote in The Art of War. Uh, okay. Then Chip Hazard continues. Damn the torpedoes, which is a reference uh, to David Farragut at the... Uh, he was a Union general at the Battle of... Mobile Bay, Mobile or Mobile Bay okay. uh, in Alabama for, during the Civil War, he said damn the torpedoes. Uh, so Chip Hazard's damn the torpedoes or give me death and <laughs> give me death uh, is part of the quote from Patrick Henry from the Revolutionary War. He said give me liberty or give me death, a very right. famous quote. Chip Hazard continues, eternal vigilance is the price of duty and uh, which is a bit of a a small change up on Jefferson's quote, Thomas Jefferson's quote, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. And Chip Hazard continues, and to the victor go the spoils. Um uh, which is a quote from New York Senator William Macy in eighteen thirty-two, talking about the election of eighteen thirty-two. Um okay. And so and they continue. <laughs> Chip hazard continues. So remember. You are the best of the best of the few and the proud, which is uh, a reference to the United States Marines, the few, the proud, the Marines. Okay. Then Ship Hazard continues. So ask not what your country can do for you, JFK. I know that one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Only regret that you have but one life to live, which is a reference to Nathaniel Hales. My only regret is that I have but one life to lose for my country. Oh, okay. And then he finishes with, what I believe are Chip Hazard originals.
1: The war against the Gorgonites will be won. Commando Elite, let the first shot be fired. Pretty sure that was Reagan who said, uh, "Let the war against the Gorgonites be fought."
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, you're right. <laughs> Search out the Gorgonites and frag them all. So, um, a pretty inspirational speech there delivered by. Uh, okay, it, it may, I
1: agree. It is inspirational, but uh, what does it mean? <laughs>
0: Which yeah, it, it totally flips the script on all of those because it's essentially meaningless. They're fighting the Gorgonites because they've been programmed to. They have no like the we have no evidence of any wrongdoing for the, from the Gorgonites, and we know that they won't even be able to win if they got into a battle. So right. it's just basically a uh, a lot of a lot to say about what's essentially supposed to just be a slaughter.
1: Yeah, and we haven't seen him them like do anything evil at this point, right? Like we don't. Right. They're still just like the soldiers. You don't know like that they're bad, although they look super creepy, like the way their smiles are painted on and everything. Yeah. But something that I just I just noticed when you were reading it back is that it's all um it's all like the most violent parts of those quotes, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. say give me liberty and give me death. He just says give me death. Damn the torpedoes! I don't know what the rest of that quote is, but like yeah, he's talking about the torpedoes. He's not talking about like the inspirational yeah. part of that. It's all it's like he's inspiring them with just violence, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, um, just
0: action, I think. Would, would, yeah, I'd yeah, say. yeah, yeah.
1: And I, think, <laughs> I do think, like, these guys, the, the they aren't, like, super developed as characters, but they are meant to be, like, caricatures, right? Caricatures yes. of, like, the gung-ho American. And, like, I agree. The military attitude. Yeah. Especially
0: think, with the way that they get along with each other as well. They do have that, like, soldier camaraderie definitely. kind of programmed in. Um, so there's a lot of, like, the stereotypes that I think they try to embody with the Commando Elite.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's clever, honestly, because, you know, it it does make them kind of scarier as villains when they're they're almost, like, idealistic in their pursuit, even though they're just, like, um, you know, like, single-minded. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I think these guys are, like, definitely emblematic of, like, um, America's involvement in Vietnam really, you know, kind of coming in and displacing a native people in a way, mm-hmm. um, trying to enact American values in across the world. And like, uh, obviously their values are basically just violence, but, or, <laughs> or should I say action? Um, yes. but that doesn't mean like, I don't know. doesn't mean that they think they're the bad guys necessarily. Right. Well, they,
0: they definitely think they're the good guys. Um, and they well and the, the bad guys are wholly bad no matter what so uh i don't know a lot i it, i think i think it ends up just at the end of the day being a caricature of the united states military yeah um and uh i think it's a creative way to do it especially with this speech uh, that <laughs> was worth recognizing but okay so the the next thing we see is when alan shows up at this the store then the following day and the whole place is trashed as a result yes. of the commando elite and uh upon seeing the remains of his one of his gorgonite friends archer gives us a reference to another uh to a shakespearean work with his line alas poor troglacon
1: oh really uh, what's that from
0: that's from uh, hamlet i believe isn't Oh, that really one? i don't know alas poor yorick i knew him well
1: Oh. poor troglacon so uh, just a handful of shakespeare maybe he researched that on online found
0: i actually think that he may have he may have seen him (laughs) but yeah it's from hamlet act five scene one page eight alas poor
1: yorick nice good call Ben. um yeah so at this point uh christy shows up at the store and once she sees all the damage um she immediately asks alan well she doesn't just ask him she accuses him of insurance fraud (laughs) (laughs) not like are you okay not like this guy, like this guy's store has clearly been broken into and his stuff stolen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's such an insensitive thing to say oh, you're committing insurance fraud for your dad's <laughs> failing toy shop? Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, I, I,
0: <laughs> hey, I just walked into your st- this store and it just got broken into Because I know your dad's store is too shit to have any money or anything worth stealing, I'm just going to go ahead and jump to conclusions and say, you're committing insurance insurance fraud. And if, and oh, by the way, did you get kicked out of 10 schools? <laughs> like, <laughs> dang, dude. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: but then, but then he corrects her and says, oh, there's only two schools. And then, there's there's no follow-up to that. She just starts talking about... You know. Oh,
0: two? That's more or less the average amount of schools people oh, get yeah. kicked out of, all right? <laughs>
1: it's, yeah, well, it's not yeah. ten. Yeah, but that does uh, solidify him as the baddest boy around, so she's definitely going to go for him. Oh, definitely. On. I
0: mean, if his haircut wasn't already establishing that hard enough, this just brings it all home.
1: Yeah, I, the dialogue in this scene really bugs me. It's just like the, the way they like, they just talk about like pop culture stuff. They're like, oh, do you lo- hate that show, Family of Five? Oh, I love the X-Files. Oh, I love Zed Zeppelin. Yeah. It's just like, right. uh, you know, I love these things. I love this pop culture stuff It substitutes you for, for character development, I feel like. <laughs> um, and uh, she does end up asking him again about the, the schools later on. And he tells her that, like, I'm a different person now. Yeah. It's just like, how old are you? You're like 13. <laughs> like, now how I'm... can you how can you have been one person and now be a different person? You have He's... barely become a person. Yeah. <laughs>
0: He's so dynamic, Alan. What a dreamboat.
1: (laughs) Well, he doesn't do it in this movie. He's pretty much the same guy.
0: (laughs) Well, um, right. So then, what's her name? Kirsten Dunst, Mm. Christy, helps him clean up the store. uh, And just in time, because uh, Alan's dad totally uh, shows Shows up. up, Right. Yeah,
1: And and figures out what's going on. Yeah. But then uh, Christy bails uh, to go uh, make out with Brad
0: yeah yeah i think this is actually the part where brad invites you to go watch him scrimmage the jv because she was supposed to be at practice yeah uh, which everyone knows that you leave practice on your bike with all your boys to get your girl before turning around and going back and scrimmaging jv yeah
1: but uh, we, i mean we shouldn't feel so bad for brad because he does have the squad so that's true okay. his
0: squad rolls deep dude they all have their own bikes and stuff like <laughs> i honestly i wouldn't mess with brad uh, which which right and, and we we were discussing this off mic, talking about feeling bad for Brad, uh, but at least he does have the squad. When Christy, like breaks his heart, yeah, at least the squad will be there for him. Yep. So I, I'm, I think we can
1: all take a little bit of solace from that. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so at this point, um, Alan goes home with uh, with Archer, and he, yep. uh, and the Commando Elite have staked out the um the toy store, so they're following um archer and alan on on his bike and this is one of my favorite parts is when they have the bike chase and uh uh what's his name bob bazooka um (laughs) brick bazooka (laughs) uh, bazooka bob uh totally gets um on the bike and like tries to climb up there and he gets totally smashed
0: yeah well and there's a lot of like small soldiers humor here where they like the the size of these soldiers is like a point of humor because they, they they slingshot him onto the bike using bungee cords (laughs) and like those bungee cords with the hooks on the end and those are you know enough to launch one of these toys so uh that like that's kind of cool and then he has his gun his like little plastic dart shooter has been outfitted with like some actual harpoon he's able to use that to pierce the water bottle on the bike uh so he can slide behind um which is well First off, it's like, who hasn't like tied a, a like a toy to a string and thrown it behind your car or something to see it bounce back there. Yeah, uh, so that it's kind of a reference to that. Also, I've heard the scene criticized for being too similar to the being behind the truck at the end of Toy Story one oh. scene um where because like there's a point where Woody is holding on to like Slinky. basically a rope. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like, and the, the, the dog is behind him, chasing him. That's literally what happens here. Like, a dog starts chasing Britney That's bit, right. But like, but these Maybe are that's why I like that are... part. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so I, I do like this, though, because for the reasons you're saying, like he's, they're, they're playing with the idea that they're small and like the bike yeah. is so much bigger than them. And he's like, trying to climb up this weird-looking structure. And he's he's like, on the chain, and he's like getting messed around and everything. And, yeah. of course, he falls off um, with a classic Wilhelm scream.
0: Yes, when his legs fly off. And there's a, we learn a couple of things here. First, we learn that the Commando Elite and just like these robot toys in general, they can exert themselves. When Brick Bazooka was climbing up the bike, we can hear him straining and <laughs> struggling to get up. He's like, hur, 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 you know, and they can feel pain because when his legs came off, he was groaning uh, as they attached them back on. I don't, I don't feel so
1: on. good, yeah. Mr. Hazard
0: so yeah so they uh so, so we learned that, that these are some pretty complex little robots going yeah
1: on. like uh, how screwed up is this that like these little guys can feel pain they're gonna give them to the kids <laughs> what are they gonna do with them I'm just screaming as they take them apart <laughs> oh my gosh
0: yeah that would be traumatizing imagine you,
1: like... put, you put one in your backpack and then you crush it with a, like, a textbook <laughs>
0: <laughs> no like you have got nick and nitro oh in there like God. begging for
1: death you're like oh what does this mean i'm <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah what did you really like what have you done wishing sentience onto these little creatures like yeah all you've to done t- is, is got added more misery to the world
0: yeah well i mean to tell you the truth though they they do have a good attitude about their injuries brick bazooka and nick nitro both try like hang in there uh you're like troopers. Br- yeah they are troopers um but yeah, that seems a little bit much to include pain <laughs> and suffering in your sentient children's story. Yeah, definitely. Uh,
1: um, what was I gonna say? Oh, uh, the other thing we learn is that they're they're like basically indestructible. I mean, they the brick bazooka bazooka Bob does get broken in half, but uh, they do t- just tape them back together. So yeah,
0: good. it's uh, it's gonna take. I guess more than just that. Uh, yeah, yeah, because as we continue, things start to fall apart with the the logic in this movie. But <laughs> at this point. Yes, they do seem like they can just be put back together, just like any toy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Alan gets home, and he calls customer support at Globotech. And we have a hilarious exchange between him and, like, the classic, just hard-to-deal-with customer support that doesn't seem to understand you completely. Yes. And Alan actually... Asks for a robot as opposed to asking for a human. Um, and when the lady transfers him to the like answering machine, basically, she's like, have a great day, ma'am. And he's like,
1: I'm not a ma'am. I'm not a ma'am. <laughs> Classic. Like you're a little kid and you sound just like your mom on the phone. Always
0: dude. And, uh, so yeah, that, and which actually ends up getting him in contact with Erwin and Larry, and they start to retrace their steps and figure out what a big mistake Larry has made, including these chips.
1: Yeah. um, so, at this point, like, uh, the uh, Commander Elite find uh, Alan in his house and they try to get him. Um, and uh, then we see another great scene of, um, like, toys being toys. And uh, Alan, like, totally manhandles them. They're trying to get him and, they're, like, shooting stuff at him. And he's, he shoves um, Nick Nitro into the garbage disposal and tears his legs off.
0: Yeah. Brutal, <laughs> it is brutal,
1: and uh, they're gonna do the same thing to Archer. So,
0: right, oh yeah, because well, yeah, they actually, it, it was actually pretty cool. They had Archer strung up. I don't know how, like, hanging above the garbage disposal, uh and they were gonna drop him in there if he didn't tell him them uh, where to the put his arms were. out
1: and it have been fine. Like, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, but you know, Alan shows up at the perfect time. Nick Nitro tries to def- like to attack him using like a tiny little like buzzsaw blade i'm not exactly sure what that thing was um, oh no, no it was a dremel
1: oh my god dremel like, okay those things are scary like the fact that it went through his hand like oh my gosh you use those have you ever used this before they're like i mean they're like no. basically little they're like little like um uh, drills basically kind of oh, yeah. drill yeah like you can use it to like cut away at at stuff like you can uh-huh. use it like as a um like a mill you know what i'm yeah. talking about um uh, where like you you cut away from, like, metal or, like, wood or anything. Sure. And, like, there's are some videos on, on YouTube of people who use uh, pieces of paper as Dremel-like blades, and it cuts through, like, wood and stuff. It's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so, he
0: – yeah, Nick Nitro's got one of those. Alan takes it away from him to cut Archer-free, and then he shoves Nick Nitro into the garbage disposal and chews up his legs. And then Alan's parents show up and somehow don't re- see any of that. <sighs> Yeah, and all and they, they see... all just escape. Yeah, yeah, they all escape. But they all, all they see is Archer, and Archer decides not to accent. Not a good everybody. time to talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll
1: we'll get back into that in a minute. Um, so, uh, this point, um, they, they you know the Gorgonites are with Alan, and um, Alan has aligned himself with them. You see a little bit of how uh, curious they are. Um, oh yeah no and th- that was such a great
0: part this is a, another some people would say like a reference to the gremlins because there's definitely scenes in gremlins where it's like oh look at the the gremlins doing human stuff like they're yeah. figuring out like how and uh, you know uh they, they kind of gave you that in this movie with the gorgonites like they're watching tv um uh, like i think they're watching like a workout video or something Aren't and they're then- watching
1: battle bots at some point
0: yeah, I think so. Yeah, like Which like is, they
1: and, <laughs> yeah kind of screwed up.
0: <laughs> well, there was just like they I don't know they they were just so influenced by the things they saw, and you kind of got a feel for the characters a little bit. I would say that there's not a whole lot that uh, endears you to any individual Gorgonite outside of Archer, but uh, mm. you kind of get like that they're quirky and they're curious, and that's kind of what were promised to us by uh, Irwin in the beginning. Uh, but yeah, so Alan has it Gorgonites and the Commando Lee are infiltrating the Fimple household because they intercepted Link static filling up his uh, duty as the communications guy. hacks yeah. into Alan's landline and he hears him talking on the phone with Christie saying that like he'd like I'll do give it all for you. Yeah, like, and and Link Static captures that, and and now they're gonna leverage it as like a weakness, like an age old weakness. Which super
1: effective, though. Yeah, Link I Static. Mean, imagine coming if that happen to you, right? Like a bunch of these little tiny toys are like, help us, help us, Benjamin, and then, <laughs> um, and then you're like, oh, and then you're like, your girlfriend is is captured, and you're like, turn him in, or she's she gets it. Like. Yeah,
0: and from their point of view, I mean, I don't know why they would think anyone would align themselves with the gorgonites so it's like easy choice your girlfriend or these gorgonites you just met yeah um, but alan actually does the I mean, stakes just
1: them. get raised really high at that point they're just toys to i mean you can make an argument obviously they're like alive in, in one way but like they're just toys versus like an actual human person that you like
0: <laughs> right right so yeah the gorgonites or not the gorgonites the commando elite use their chemical warfare—they launch sleeping pills uh, into <laughs> Phil Fimple and his wife's uh drinks, their gin and tonics, as, yeah. as they're enjoying t- uh Phil's newly set up like home theater system.
1: You get a great uh, line from him too. Oh
0: yeah, because they're watching a World War II documentary, and and she's like not listening to him, but you just hear him offhand comment. He's like, "I think World War II is my favorite war." <laughs> such a classic like such an idiot line from phil that's so good uh, but yeah they end up both getting knocked out by the sleeping pills the Elite tie up the little kid and throw him in a closet yep. and then they head into uh Christie's room yeah room and they discover all the gwendy
1: dolls right they're like little barbie dolls they all have like dresses and stuff and they and so they they use link statics or not link statics they use nick nitro's uh little um chip yeah and um and uh, bring life to the uh, Gwendy dolls. They right. Use, like, a, they use like a cupcake tin that's like an electric helmet or something. I don't know how. Like this doesn't make any sense at all. This is the point in the movie
0: where they definitely like. While they had like a uh, a mild grasp on reality before, they're at least trying to make it seem somewhat realistic yeah. and explain why things are happening. At this point, they just throw that out the window completely and they're just like and now we can bring other toys to life by shocking their heads with a cupcake tray so like (laughs) it's it's like they put nick nitro's chip on one of those uh like
1: uh what are they called Uh, little coil kind of looking things the little things that like I, I i don't think i've ever seen one that looks just like that but you know those little like orbs that have like yeah. the tiny like sphere in the middle, and like you touch it, and like little things of electricity touch your hands. Right, and, stuff. and then you know science, yeah. And then you do science, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those things. And, I and mean, so I charged myself point, up with some science here.
0: Yeah, and the, and the point is that at that point, this movie <laughs> lets go of reality, and it really takes off, which, uh, you know. It's what it, it is what it is. Like at least they kept it somewhat realistic up until that point, and yeah. then after that they kind of take advantage of the fact that they have left reality behind. But it's, it's an opportunity for me, I, I guess, to appreciate one of my favorite things about this movie is kind of like the DIY weaponry, uh, because when they pull Nick Nitro uh, out to you know get his chip uh they open up a pencil bag body bag yeah. they've been keeping him inside which is hilarious <laughs> is it's like so the perfect funny. size um <laughs> uh, and all the guys to- get totally grossed out when chip hazard rips his head off <laughs> they're like i think i'm gonna be sick <laughs> like, yeah but they see uh chip hazard rip his head off and uh but we also had like later on. There's a toaster that shoots flaming CDs out of it. We have like a flaming tennis ball launcher, a corn cob handle launcher, yeah. uh, a what nail gun, which well, is just a okay, corn dangerous. cob
1: handle thing. Like, how many of those could you possibly even have, right? Like, <laughs> I think I think we have some. But I also feel like like there are like like an upper middle class utensil. Like, you definitely don't need them, <laughs> But. Like how many are you gonna need? Like you have like eight, maybe, right? One, for, yeah, like, maybe two for each of your members of your family. Like <laughs> and if you like build a, a launcher specifically for those. Yeah, I don't know about that. They also right. have like the nail gun launcher, and yep. my favorite is the uh, the chainsaw like go kart thing. Yeah, used to like they attach a chainsaw to a go kart and just use that, uh, which is pretty sweet.
0: Right, and then, yeah, they strap knives to themselves, um, and they even had, like, the DIY psychological warfare. Oh, yeah. That uh, comes reminiscent up, of Nam.
1: That comes up right like, next, because after um, Alan rescues the pathetic Christy, um, they run over to Alan's house, and they start blasting the music, right?
0: Well, right, right, right. But before we get to that, so, um, you know, at this point, the, what's it called? Uh, the, the toys... The Commando Elite have turned the Gwendy Dolls into their new army. Yeah. And uh, and Christy arrives home, and she has to kind of uh, tell Brad to get lost. Brad is definitely trying to get some action. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Christy is, doesn't want to get caught by her folks. Also, I get the like the idea that she doesn't really like Brad that much. Uh, so he wasn't getting in anyways. And uh, <laughs> Anyways, um, she goes upstairs and gets totally captured by... The Gwendy uh, like Dolls. The Gwendy yeah, Dolls. overtaken by them. That. Yes, and then they film a kind of like Al-Qaeda style uh, interview, or not interview, like... Uh, <laughs> it's like a ransom it, tape. Ransom, yeah, ransom video. That they, I don't even know if they explain this, but they definitely projectile launch it through Alan's window. And uh, spear a little uh, Ocula, right? Yeah, they totally stick Ocula to the wall. And, uh, and then when they watch it, they see that it's christy and she's tied up and, and the, she's,
1: uh, you're reading a script
0: yes um and then when the video is almost over like at the end she says that they have to give up the gorgonites insaniac is like what
1: else is on <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's probably laughed out loud that yeah
0: insaniac funny. is hilarious he's probably my favorite gorgonite
1: um, the stand-up comedian gorgonite stand-up yeah. comedian alien He's he's like a a Tasmanian devil. He's like a little whirlwind. Oh, yeah. There's a whole lot of detail to
0: these characters, actually. Um, And they were great toys. Like the Insaniac toy, which, of course, I had. Of course. um, Actually, you could, like, pop his, like, basically his legs could, like, kind of detach from the bottom half of his body. Like, you could pop them out, make Mm -hmm. him, like, slightly taller. And then he would spin. So you could ah. hold on to his legs and spin the middle of his body. And it would, it could you know, it spin. And then you could also, his head would also spin completely around. Um, and it was just like, and he came with a ball and chain, which is, is his weapon of choice later.
1: The um, uh, the original fidget spinner.
0: Yes, it really was. Uh, it was a little bit bigger, but it was uh, Insaniac, definitely the trendsetter with uh, his Tasmanian double Yeah, back in 1998. Attacks, yeah. Very prescient.
1: <laughs> um,
0: okay, so... Wait. But before they head out, um, Archer is looking out the window. Yeah. Um, and he's asking Alan what's out there. And a continuity alert, he this is where Alan admits that the mall is actually not that far away, uh, which it comes in handy a little bit later. But they, we come across this line, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Hmm. Uh, and the way that they get to this conclusion is because... Alan is pointing out the the, the tree is moving. <laughs> yeah, because Archer says, Alan, the commando elite are in the tree. <laughs> he's like, no, there's no, they're not in a tree. That's just the wind. And like basically in trying to explain the what wind. What the wind is, yeah. Yeah, Alan basically just says it's invisible. You can't see it, but it still exists, which is a gross oversimplification <laughs> of what air is and how it can
1: move. <laughs> Yeah, but these guys are gonna go out into the world and be like, "Oh, all this stuff is wind, wind, yeah. <laughs> the wind." Yeah, That's... the the magic force of the wind.
0: Right, and uh, and that does that that line will come back to uh to see us again. But Alan definitely needs to step it up with his description game because, come on, dude, the wind. <laughs> yeah, uh, come on,
1: don't you know about the uneven heating of the earth? Right. <laughs> um. So. Once he rescues Christy from the Gwendy dolls, um, this is when the parents find out what's going on, right? Uh, well, so not not quite. So when,
0: when we go back to the Fimple house, um, oh, that's right, I forgot. They, they set part. a box of the Gorgonites outside, even though it was not them. It was Trojan another box. <laughs> yeah, another '90s throwback. Uh, to do you remember those vibrating balls with like the pegs all over them? Uh, did you see what they, because they had the box out there and it had a boom box inside of it that had mm. sounds of Gorgonites being like, don't do this, Alan, like, don't betray us. Yeah. And, uh, but it, the box was also like kind of shaking a little bit and it had these little, I don't remember what toy company made them, but they were like these, it was like a pink ball with a bunch of different colored, uh, like they look like dots, candies, like all around it and it would vibrate and just kind of roll around on its own. Do you remember oh, that? Oh yeah,
1: I do, I do what I was talking about. Yeah, two of yeah. those
0: were in this box, and only uh, '90s kids will remember this. But they, uh, they, they had two of those in the box to make it look like there were Gorgonites moving in there. Um, anyways, the the Commando Elite fall for it and get totally distracted, and Alan sneaks in and uh, saves Christy from the Gwendy dolls. And then Alan and Christy like team up to kill the Gwendy dolls. Uh, yeah, totally not the side. Yeah, so yeah. they
1: they try to escape out the house, but at this point, the uh, the Commando Elite have um, some. D- DIY like um like armed vehicles <laughs> <laughs>
0: right which leads us to uh like a unironic moped chase scene yes. where the the commando elite are firing like projectile explosives at trees and knocking them down with one hit uh as they chase Alan and Christy down the road and Ar- Archer I think maybe um I don't know yeah. Anyways, this they they it, it, the this chase climaxes in a uh, amazing moped jump across yeah, this like a river. Yeah, like a this ditch thing that
1: cr- that uh. It's like a little chip hazard has some like water in it.
0: Yes. Yeah. It, well, and Chip Hazard and the boys who <laughs> linked up to become like a one super vehicle <laughs> yeah. uh, launch themselves into this creek and explode and die.
1: Did you uh, Did you have those? Um... The 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 cars they were driving.
0: I had yes I did I had uh, I definitely had the one that Chip Hazard sits in. Okay, and I and I also had one that was like it wasn't it was basically the chainsaw vehicle except they like the toy version had a buzz saw on it uh, okay. uh, so it was it, like it was a little bit different but uh, for the most part yes I definitely had those toys because I had like all of the toys from this movie that's so fun and uh, but yeah so they all die there in a in a fiery well, all of
1: them except for chip hazard who washes down the creek and at right. this point he has like all these scars and stuff on him right which, and which uh,
0: of course there was another toy that i had because i had a normal chip hazard toy but i also had battle damage chip hazard yes uh which was who he became after that encounter with the creek uh he's a little bit burnt <laughs> up especially in one of his eyes a little and, washed uh, away yeah yes. so
1: he um yeah, he floats on the the creek and he finds Toy World, where the rest of the Commando Elite like merchandise has been uh, placed. And he goes in there and rescues or or gets all the other wakes up all the other um, Commando Elite and they all punch their way out of their boxes.
0: Yes, and uh, yeah, so he and he g- convinces the. Uh, truck driver the anti-corporation <laughs> truck driver to take him to alan's house because uh he du- they duct tape him to the steering wheel and keep a knife at his throat and make him drive back uh and they at this he point to do that
1: <laughs> we could have <laughs> yeah. convinced him to do it.
0: it all they would have to do is convince him that they'd pay him back
1: next week and he yeah didn't exactly anything. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so um i really thought that like the the battle damage chip hazard was going to be like the defining feature of, of chip hazard. And there would be other chip hazards that would like show up too. but that didn't really happen. It was all just kind of the, the other guys. That it were... was
0: all the other guys, all the other commando elite, and they are all instantly outfitted with DIY weaponry, even though they just showed up and they knew who they were attacking and everything. Like they definitely oh, glossed yeah. over like the, <laughs> a lot of the planning of
1: this. Yeah. Especially since like they, they actually spent so much time showing him build the DIY weapons which is like, really cool, but, like, just to have them show up with everything, like, yeah. a whole arsenal of them.
0: Well, and also, yeah, they have, like, some camaraderie, like, they're singing songs, like, they have, like, I don't know what I've been told gorgonite Blood runs mighty cold. Like oh, they, they actually like unless they come in the box program with that, which actually, now that I say it out loud, probably is the case. But they just show up and are instantly ready for battle. Oh, yeah. Um which is uh which is forgivable because like we said, they've totally let go of reality at this point <laughs> in the movie, and it, it's just for your viewing pleasure. Because the, the thing is the movie could have ended low stakes. Uh,
1: moped, jump. Moped, jump. moped jump,
0: yeah, yeah, and then Alan and Christy go back home and but, have to deal yeah, with the aftermath of the what,
1: explosions and stuff. Once you they know. jump that creek, they also jump the shark. Yes, and
0: <laughs> but but and now they give you what you want to see, which That's is true. a large scale like battle, uh, like in in this suburb. So uh, the, and and you get that. And It's a lot of fun with all the DIY weaponry and the the soundtrack too kills it at this point. Yes. Um, so, well this it, is the it,
1: part where they have the psychological warfare, right? That's right. Right. so all the parents and 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 Larry and Aaron are all in there and Kirsty and um and Alan have filled everybody in and they're like, "Hey, uh we got to fight these tiny toys." And they start and the toys start blasting um wanna-be by wannabe. the Spice Girls. Yeah. Uh and they're like, "What are they doing? It's psychological warfare." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Which
0: is great. One of many so like really good songs that I think we included in this movie. Uh, pretty good soundtrack, which we'll get to. Uh, but so here's some more like another continuity alert here, because uh, even though the <laughs> I think that the way that they conclude the movie or, or they solve the uh, the problem of being attacked by all these commando elite. It's a little bit, like, out there, but they definitely set it up so it at least works within the parameters of this world because all this movie we've had established that Phil loves his technology and he's not afraid to inconvenience his neighbors to get optimal use out of his tech. Uh, <laughs> so, like He showed that with chopping down the tree, and now he's showing it again because uh, they talk about needing an EMP, right? So Larry and Erwin are there, right, and right. Larry knows that the chips aren't shielded to EMP. Uh, and then Erwin's like, oh, but you'd need to, like, blow up some electronics or something. Um, and then Alan's like, what about the uh, – what about these uh, uh, transformers. transformers? Yeah, the ones yeah that,
1: that, Those big, like, cylinders are on the telephone poles. You see
0: exactly, yeah. Right. And then, oh, like, Phil knows. He's like, oh, well, if you connect them, you can get a nice power boost, but then it'll explode. And he says it. <sighs> Like he's speaking from experience, and at this point, there's no doubt that he actually has tried that. So those things all kind of come together in a way that is satisfying and leads you to believe that it's a realistic outcome, uh, despite the actual action of doing it as being kind of ridiculous. Um, But yeah, we get a nice battle scene before it leads up to the climax, kind of, uh, where we see Chip Hazard versus Archer up on top of the telephone pole with Alan.
1: Well, and... Chip Hazard flew up there in a helicopter he somehow commandeered. A, a right. tiny helicopter, like, the size for him. A tiny guess...
0: helicopter that is controlled by the tiny person. Sitting, sitting in the here. thing, yeah. Like, how does that...
1: <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and then he's in there. He's up there, and then Archer climbs up there. Uh, does he grappling hook his way up there?
0: Yeah, he does. Uh, he gets help from Insaniac, who, oh, okay. uh, like, acts as kind of a, a pulley and push and pulls him up. Oh, that's right.
1: Yeah, so then he uh, he gets up there and, and they, even though Archer is programmed to lose, he faces his greatest enemy bravely. Chip yeah, Hazard, very much. Chip
0: Hazard says, "You've got some guts, kid." Let's see what they ah! look like. And he stabs him. Uh, but then, yeah, so after Chip Hazard knocks Archer off the telephone pole, Alan grabs him and says uh, an amazing line. He says, uh, "Have I got a shock for you?" Nice. And then places him in between the Transformers and Chip Hazard. Get glitches out, and the transformers explode. And the EMP and...
1: is launched, and you see the little like pulse go through. Yeah, but and it, it course... kills
0: all of them, including the Gorgonites allegedly.
1: Well, well, no, because the Gorgonites are hidden underneath the satellite dish, um, and they so they survive uh, the blast.
0: Right, and it, it end up wiping out all the other. Uh, Commando Elite. Commando so, yeah.
1: Elite, where we, we also get our second Wilhelm
0: scream. That's right. Uh, when Alan's dad is punching, I think it's a brick bazooka off of his chest as it's, like, glitching out. You get to hear a, a nice I don't little, think it was
1: brick bazooka. I think it was Bazooka Bob.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> you hear a nice little, uh, when he punches the head off of it. So, um, and then from there, there's just, uh, well, from there we get uh, uh, the Globotech coming in. To... oh
1: sorry, sorry that's just something i want to talk about and yeah, that's yeah. the um the the emps um this is something that my mom talks about all the time she's she's terrified of emps it's just like the concept of them i think is kind of terrifying um and like i think she brings up a good point the fact that like nothing we own is like shielded from emps or can like deal with an emp and like anybody yeah. could build one theoretically and then drop it on like you know a populated area, and then, like, all of Uh our data would be wiped out from that area, and, like, none of our cell phones work. Like, not only would, like, the loss of data be devastating, but just, like, you'd have to go back and purchase all new stuff. And, like, everything has become wired. Like, some people have, like, light bulbs that can connect to their Wi-Fi. Like, that would no (laughs) longer work because of an EMP. It's just, like, it is kind of a terrifying concept. Although I think she is kind of, um, overreacting to it. But it was (laughs) nice to see EMPs in this movie just because, um, they were, uh, used, utilized so well and so effectively.
0: Yeah. It, well, EMP is actually to the rescue, not necessarily a threat. That's um, true. But yeah, so they use the EMP, and the next day we see uh, Globotech showing up to, to clean up after everybody. Yes. And uh, and honestly, it, it brings it's an interesting discussion, like how much money does Globotech have to be writing down on these checks to get these people to. Just be like, you know what? I will forget this ever happened for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean that's exactly what happens. So he like he writes down some number, he hands it to him, and they're just like, okay, whatever, <laughs> problem solved. And I mean like no like nobody died, you know, nobody was really injured. I think a couple people got scratches and stuff. Alan got his arm torn up at some point. Um, yeah, a couple yeah, of corn cob got, handles got, got stuck in someone's leg. Yeah, yeah, Alan's dad got caught in some a net, but he was fine. Um, <laughs> all like. So no like no 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 permanent damage done, except for to the like the property, which you know could be solved with money. yeah, still like this is some terrifying technology that's out there you know I, I feel like I feel like the world needs to know
0: um it depends if it sounds like Gilmars has access to a lot a lot of money, and if i'm let's say that I'm Alan's dad and suddenly. I went from struggling toy store to never needing to work again.
1: Yeah.
0: I might, I might be well, okay with that.
1: I don't, I mean, you don't know how much money it is, but I mean, can we I really don't. assume that can, can you really assume he's like, he's, he's doing anything but covering the damages? Yes. <laughs> because All right. I I think that, well, I, I don't know this is just, if
0: I was Alan's dad and this is for me to have the same reaction, yeah. I would need to be like so comfortably well off after this check uh, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't even need to say anything. Just be like,
1: okay, I'll take it. I, I guess. I mean, like, that's, that's the, I don't know. It, I feel like it's lazy, honestly, because they don't show you the numbers or anything. And it is just like, oh, the problem solved, you know, money solves everything. It is kind of like cynical. Yes. For some reason. No,
0: it's so, oh my gosh, it's so like p- papering over everything. And like, like tying up every loose end by instead of tying them, you just like burn them all. Like yeah, there's you just no throw money at it. Yeah. Like until the problem it's... disappears. Exactly. I mean, like if you uh. were,
1: If you were to go against Globotech, you would definitely lose. They definitely have a lot more resources than you, and like the legal department and stuff. But still, like, I don't know. I I would feel an obligation to, like, let other people know. I would not want – like, I feel like my silence would become at a very high price.
0: Yeah, a super high price. And if they could pay that price, boy! (laughs) (laughs) I'd be okay with that. Um, But, okay, so – just to wrap up the actual events of the movie, the next thing we see is uh, well, first we find out that no, the Gorgonites did not die; they hid under the satellite dish, and somehow that protected them from EMP. Whatever. As it, yeah, this movie is counting on the, us to not. The know. ending of this
1: movie was written in five minutes. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, that yeah. Then Alan uses like throwback to the uh, the boat that he broke in the or he didn't break that got broken in the uh, toy store. Yep. Alan sets the Gorgonites on a on their voyage to find Gorgon.
1: Yeah, he sends them out into the lake or something. And, like, my question is, I mean, are these guys waterproof? Like, what happens when that boat capsizes and they all just <laughs> fall away? And, I mean, like, I guess they are peaceful and they like they like to hide and stuff, so like, I assume they can just live out in the wilderness. Like, apparently their batteries are super, super good and they will never die, but... Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Someone's going to find them and, like, oh, look at these tiny little creatures that look just, like, plastic toys although oh, yeah. they'd probably just freeze you know, like out like like um like an archer does Pretend yeah. <laughs> <that> nothing's happening <laughs> yeah
0: so yeah, i'm not really sure what'll happen with the gorgonites um we never, I, we I
1: never got a small soldiers too which story. i'm
0: totally fine with because i'm sure it would have been terrible yeah um so but yeah i, I think i did enjoy that um but Okay, so we finished the just going over like, the events of the movie. We have a few more things we want to talk about, but we're going to take a quick break before we get to that, uh, so stay with us. We'll be right
1: back. Globotech Defense System. In a secret lab, the world's most advanced military microprocessor has been created. But the Cold War is over. For Globotech to survive. New markets
0: must be found. Now, all that power has been placed into the brain of a fighting machine unlike any known to man. They made it strong. They made it clever. They made it small. They made a mistake. Major Chip Hazard, reporting for duty, sir. Wow, voice activated. Commandos, team, oh, yeah! quick! Yeah! Tail soldier! Rick Bazooka, ready to spring into action. Butch oh! Meat prepared to go to distance. Hit Nitro, demolition. <laughs> Kip Killigan, sharp as a razor. You are the best of the best.
1: Heartland Play Systems, I'm having trouble with the Commando Elite.
0: Ah! Like they're alive. Let's roll some armor. We got us a war to win. The few. Yeah. We have met the enemy. He is big. He is fat.
1: <laughs> yeah. The proud. He has revealed a weakness. Alan, please. You have to help. <sighs> Major Chip Hazard wants a war. We'll give him a war. The small. Who are you calling small? This summer. Babes at 12
0: o'clock. Join the commando elite. Gentlemen, those are reinforcements. Windows, attack! No mercy! Incoming! Small soldiers. Ugh.
1: Command
0: post brick bazooka, report.
1: It's just a flesh wound, sir.
0: You have to be crazy not to be scared. The, the score of this movie, the, yes. the I think all around this movie delivers on the music, the... Uh, composition or whatever like the the music they composed for this movie like the orchestral stuff works plenty fine. Yeah, well uh, most
1: of it is like uh the ants go marching. Did you
0: notice that? Uh yes. And uh actually I've been told or, uh, this is the same guy who did the comp- uh music for Gremlins. Oh, so it cool. does yeah, so it has that kind of feel to a it. A nice uh,
1: collaboration then.
0: Yes. And uh but but they also include a bunch of like well-known hits. Uh, like another one bites the dust, um, which is in this one, it's the small soldiers remix, uh, (laughs) war by Edwin Starr, Uh, love is a battlefield. Um, Tom Sawyer.
1: A lot of them are kind of, uh, on the nose, you might say. Yeah. They're
0: very literal. Like for instance, the creation from bride of Frankenstein, which plays during the, uh, Gwendy doll creation scene. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, Be" by the Spice Girls, which is the
1: psychological warfare a la Vietnam. And although there isn't any Spinal Tap music in here, the Spinal Tap guys actually voice the Gorgonites. Which, if you're
0: familiar with Spinal Tap at all, makes perfect sense. with <laughs> The way that the Gorgonites kind of have their off-color comments that are just... They just say to no one in particular, almost yeah. to no response most of the time. Uh, but are definitely hilarious if you pay attention to them. It's good stuff. So. Yeah, yeah so, so all around great great soundtrack. Uh the audio in this movie definitely delivers.
1: Definitely. Okay, so the, the last thing I want to talk about is how um I have a I have a headcanon for this movie. And um my my theory is that the entire movie happens inside Alan's head. And that um nothing 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 you see actually happens. Well, except, well, well, up to a certain point. What's your evidence for this? Okay, so first of all, um like, in Alan's room, there's a little thing that says, Question Reality. Um, and then later on in the movie, um, his mom, like, quickly accuses him of doing drugs. She lists off all the drugs she can think of. Smack, tar, tar. <laughs> crack. Yeah. Have you been smoking crack? <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and of course, uh, anytime time, like... Uh, people are around the, the toys don't move they don't do anything it's only when Alan talks to them that they actually move and you see them do things that's right um, and then there's, a, there's all these like plot things like how the, the truck driver just gives him a bunch of magic toys and the toys destroy the shop quote unquote you know because this kid is like is, has, is known for like vandalizing things like how do you know he didn't do it and then like, yeah. blame it on the toys kind of like a fight club situation where like, <laughs> he thinks it's them but he's, it's really him the whole time um, yeah uh, of course like the whole thing ends with a fancy where he has to he destroys his house he gets the girl um, and instead of like you know being a vandal or going to jail or whatever you know he's the hero of the day and of of course, like at the very end, the like the solution is such like a little kid solution. The like, adults are given an indiscriminate amount of money to, to to wash it all away, and it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like at a certain point, this movie crosses over into the fantasy realm, right, uh, where. Uh, suddenly nothing that you see is actually happening and it's all just in Alan's head. It's just some elaborate fantasy <laughs> that he's dreamed up to to not, so that he doesn't have to deal with the harsh reality of him being just like a terrible um, schizophrenic kid.
0: <laughs> yeah, and in and like in real life, Alan is just like in a padded cell with yeah, like a we're straight r- giant... Yeah, walking back and forth. And yeah, like, and, and Brad you? never gets his heart broken.
1: That's right. Yeah. That, that's really what... What drove me to do this <laughs> uh, justice for brad hashtag justice for brad.
0: hashtag justice for brad um definitely tweet that if you agree with us that brad gets the short end of the stick in this movie um, but um but yeah so i, I think it's a great idea I, I don't generally like the like childhood ruined theories because i feel like a lot of them are kind of just like shoehorned in so that sure. people can ruin your childhood but this one actually has some substantial evidence uh that alan uh, may be like completely insane and an unreliable narrator so uh, i applaud you for that but yeah so small soldiers a classic from my childhood a movie that i hadn't seen in a while uh I-, I think it's still a lot of fun i think it falls closer to that category of like movies that you like to watch and kind of make fun of uh, as opposed to a movies that you watch because they're great movies. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of fun to be had at this movie. It's very quotable, uh, b- very memorable. And even if it's kind of inspired by some other extremely popular movies, uh, I think it still can stand on its own as kind of its own idea uh, and experience in that sense.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is a fun movie, and it's it's uh, fun to watch and everything. And I I really would recommend it if you're looking for something kind of weird and out there um uh, because it does kind of follow between like kids movie and like like teen movie i would say because there is like a lot of violence and stuff and it is kind of intense but like it's not like i don't know it's not super uh, out there or it's not super gory or like weird you know so i feel like it earns this pg-13 movie but it is still kind of suitable for kids um uh but i don't know like i mean i watched this a few days ago and i find myself kind of forgetting major parts of the movie already i feel like it doesn't really stick in my mind as much as as say other ones Mm -hmm. um and maybe that's just because i'm distracted uh, but i i also feel like because of this podcast i've been thinking about it more than i usually would and uh, i I feel like i would have forgotten i've even seen it if it hadn't been for this so i feel like it wasn't that memorable honestly
0: i uh if you're looking for a phil hartman performance because as his career was cut tragically short, Mm -hmm. um, I think this is a great one to, to visit up on because in my, in my experience, my favorite role for Phil is to be a dad. Uh, and he's definitely a hilariously, uh, uh, like moronic dad in this movie. Um, and it's also a good, like, 90s movie. If you're trying to watch a movie that is definitely released <laughs> in, the in the 90s, 90s yes. yes, this this one is definitely this on is that This is
1: an epitome 90s movie. And Yes. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of good pieces of this that, that fit together well. And although we did kind of pick it to pieces, um, I think it does hold up pretty well. So
0: Agreed, yeah. And I think that, yeah, the, the writing, I think, is not – like, the dialogue at, at times can be really generic and really mm-hmm. – uh, uh, full of cliches, especially towards the end when Alan is like, "It's the only way, Dad." Like Alan, be careful. Like, like that, uh, no one cares at all at that point yeah. about like. You already like, know it's gonna happen. Exactly, but it's kind of going through the motions at that point. But as far as just like the the plot structure and setting up uh, future events through like introducing various things, I think that that works well through this movie, um, and like. It, so, yeah, I, I, as far as someone who is, like, very rose-tinted glasses about this movie, um, I'm happy to see that it is actually h- holds some water uh, and, and, is a, and is a decent film. Uh, it's good for 90s nostalgics, I think. I, <laughs> At I least, conclude. yeah. Yeah. But, um, okay, well, I, I think that's going to be it for us. So, Joey, thanks for joining me once again. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening to Apple Chat. You can find us on iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Please rate us five stars and review us. That really helps others find the podcast, and it helps us expand our audience. We love feedback. Please chat with us. You can tweet at us on Twitter, at affablechat, or just send us a good old-fashioned email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Hashtag justice for Brad, and we'll see you next time.